Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revive Podcast. We're excited you're here. This podcast will include our Sunday morning Sunday school class, our worship night teachings, and an occasional fun interviews. I'm excited to share with you this week's episode. Uh, Acts chapter 16, we're going to actually start in verse 13 today. And we've got three different stories that we're going to go through today. Um, This is kind of like when Jesus would teach on the Sermon on the Mount, like we just went through, and he would say three different stories back to back to back. Uh, If you take them and try to pull them apart and not make them connected to the other stories, you're going to mix some of the meaning. There are three different examples of people giving their life to the Lord in Scripture um, in sequential order. And we want to talk about what, why are all three of these in the text and what do we do with that? But before we do that, I kind of want to give us some background of what's happening in the book of Acts. You guys know Acts. We've been studying Acts for a good amount of time. Um, I've been loving this study. I hope y'all are loving it too. I hope that the book of Acts is coming alive to you. Like the person of Paul is getting personality. Uh, the people like such as Philip and Peter are beginning to have personality in your mind. Uh, so that when you think about Bible characters, they're not stale and boring, you know, but they have personality. And, I, and I, so we're going to get a little bit more of Paul's personality uh, today, which is kind of fun in my head. But when we are thinking about the book of Acts, we know that it's the beginning of the church. It's how the church started. We are all here thanks to the people in the book of Acts. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the main character. So that the book of Acts shows us what it looks like for people to live a normal, everyday life full of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we think, okay, I have the Holy Spirit, but what does it mean to live a life in obedience to the Holy Spirit? How do I live a life full of the Spirit of God? Well, the book, read the book of Acts. It gives you example after example of example of what it practically looks like for someone to live a life of full of the Holy Spirit. And we see that that always was um, not the most popular thing among the culture. There was a lot of pushback, a lot of, of Jews who said, no, no, that's going against the rule and the reign of, of the, the, our customs. They were going against, you know, what we have traditionally done. And as the church of Jesus was established, uh, the fun word for that church was called the way. I love that. And the book of Acts says that the church was first called the way. So when the way was established, there was some pushback and not everyone liked them. And so a lot of people uh, died. A lot of people went to prison. A lot of people had ridicule. Um, but still the church progressed. And we're going to read a story today, uh, or three of them, where you see a little bit of persecution. Uh, you see a little hardship, but you see the hand of God. So let's start in verse 13. And we're going to read uh, 13 through 15. So Paul is with Silas. Oh, I forgot something. I pulled a Gracie. I forgot something. So um, here's what. <laughs> All right. I'll just, I'll get one more today and then we'll be done. All right. <laughs> um, here's what happened. So the people in the Bible, are they like supernatural people or are they normal everyday people? Normal. All right. Okay. That's really important. So Normal, everyday people, do they sometimes get on each other's nerves? Do they sometimes disagree? Yes, come on, okay, all right, yes, yes, all right. Have you and your roommate ever disagreed on something? Yes, okay, okay, thanks, Maddie. But, so, y'all know about Paul and Barnabas, how they were like, 
the ultimate duo. They were going to places, like they went to the church at Antioch and started there, and they were encouraging the brothers all throughout the places that they went. They got stoned, then they would go back to places, and they would keep sharing the gospel. And those two guys had a strong um, brotherhood. Well, something happens with a guy named John Mark. And John Mark does something. He kind of betrays someone. He kind of like goes behind their back and does something. And Paul begins to not trust John Mark. He says, I don't want John, John Mark around. Uh, has that ever happened to you guys? Like someone does something to you and you're kind of like, uh-uh, I don't, I don't need them anymore. But then there's this one guy named Barnabas who's like, no, 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 let's give him another shot. Right? Well, what happens is Paul and Barnabas end up getting in an argument. Uh, the, the scripture actually says that it was um, no little disagreement. That's, that's Bible for they fought. <laughs> and, and, and so they had a no little disagreement and eventually ended up going separate ways. So there was conflict, and Paul went one way, and Barnabas went another way. It wasn't that they hated each other. It's just that they disagreed on the method that they should go about life. They had a disagreeing agreement of an opinion. So Paul takes a guy named Silas, and they head one way. And Barnabas takes John Mark and heads another way. Now, the cool thing is, is that God actually used that disagreement <clears throat> to plant more churches all throughout the world because they now were divided but you, think, you might think of division as a bad thing, but you might think of it also as just they were strategic in nature. Uh, and God was able to use that disagreement. So we see Paul and Silas now on this journey. Sometimes when you ever, you might look at like the maps in the back of your Bible, they'll say something like Paul and Silas's missionary journey. I don't know if you ever see that and it'll kind of like marred out where they went. Well, this is, this is what they're talking about. So we're going to kind of give an overview of that. So Paul and Silas. And they're on their way, going from town to town, town to town, town to town, town to town. They meet a guy named Timothy, who uh, it's kind of like when you see a, a cool character in a show that you don't get to know him until season three, but you see him in season one. This is what happens when they meet Timothy. Like, you don't know the story of Timothy, but it's coming. Like, first and second Timothy are coming, and it's like the origin story of Timothy earlier in, in chapter 16. They meet Timothy. He's with his grandma. Like, just this regular guy hanging out with his grandma ends up being the major pa pastor of the church of Ephesus that First and Second Timothy is written to. Like, I love that. A normal dude hanging out with his grandma, and they invested in him. Well, Paul and Silas keep going on their missionary journey, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 13. Okay, that was a lot, but does that make sense? All right, cool. So Paul and Silas, verse 13. Okay. And on the Sabbath day... We went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's, let's talk about that. The first thing I want to talk about, and this is just a small literary item, but it, he begins to, the author begins to switch the pronouns. Instead of saying, they went to this place, he now says, we went to that place. So this is cool. Not only is he hearing about the stories, but now he's telling us that he was there. He was a part of this journey. So he doesn't Notate that Paul and Silas and Luke were on the journey, but we know that Luke was with them because he says that we went there. It's just a fun little fact that we'll see uh, that kind of play itself out a little more. But he says that on the Sabbath day, 
I mean, Sabbath is a day of rest, Jewish culture, right? Um, they went to a place of prayer where they thought women would be. So they go to this place of prayer where they are just supposing that women would be. They meet this lady named Lydia. Uh, she's from a city called Thyatira, which is a hard word to say. And they find out that she is a businesswoman. She sells purple goods. Uh, purple in biblical customs was a sign of royalty, uh, just like it is here in Nacogdoches. So purple was uh, a sign of royalty. So they meet this lady. She is a worshiper of God. Notice what the text doesn't say. The text doesn't say a worshiper of Jesus. Uh, the text says a worshiper of God. In other words, you can interpret this to say she was religious. She wasn't into Jesus, but she was spiritual in nature. Does that make sense? So she was religious. She was, and they begin to have this conversation with her. And you might have heard this phrase before, but it says that the Lord opened her heart. You guys ever talked to someone and um, you've heard someone say afterwards, like, God really opened their heart while I was speaking to them? Well, this is kind of where that phrase comes from. So I want us to talk a little bit about this encounter. Because I think the strategy here of Paul and Silas is very, very, very um, helpful. And, it, and it's intentional. But before we go into the strategy, I need to ask you a question. Have you ever been on a mission trip? Anyone ever been on a mission trip? Show of hands. Everyone ever been on a mission trip? Okay. Uh, that's a lot of help. That's awesome. Okay. When you go on a mission trip, it's easier or harder to share your faith. It's easier, right? You go to a place you've never met. You're talking to people you've never met, and you walk up to a door you've never met. Hi, we're with the church. We're having a, you know, giveaway, and you just hand them a flyer, right? And you're able to share uh, the gospel with them. You're able to have a conversation with them. Or maybe you're doing something kind of like what we talked about the other night uh, for our worship night, where you're on a summer trip, and you're somewhere, and you're just building relationships with people, and you're sharing the gospel with them as you go. Sometimes it's easier for us in our mind for us to be more missionally minded when places that aren't our home. It's easier for us to go somewhere and be more missionally minded than it is at home. Y'all ever experienced that thought? It's like, okay, when I can go somewhere and really be about it, but when I come back here, it's like, it's like a different me. I don't know if y'all ever experienced that. Why is that? Why is that? And I'd like to suggest the idea that the reason that it felt so different is because you went somewhere with a purpose and you went somewhere with a strategy. Even if you're just handing out flyers for an event you're gonna do that day. Let's say you're, you're, feeding, just, you're feeding the poor and you're feeding those who need food. Even just handing out flyers and said, hey, there's food tonight. You have a purpose and a strategy of what you're doing. But when we live our life in Nacogdoches, on the campus of SFA, maybe in your hometown, wherever you're from, we often lack purpose and strategy, but we're just living. And what we see from the life of Paul and Silas is that they were very intentional and strategic. I want you all to look at what they did. It says that on the Sabbath day, they went outside the gate to the riverside where they supposed there was a place of prayer. Why is that important? Well, they put their heads together and they said, okay, we need to meet some people. We need to tell them about Jesus. Where do you think they're at? And they go, well, you, normally outside by the river, there's a, a place of prayer. Those, those who are spiritually interested are there. So I'm going to go there and talk to them. You see how they were strategic there? They didn't just say like, well, they showed up to Thyatira, walked around town square for a while, didn't see anybody, went to Walmart. Like, no, they went to a place where they knew people were going to be. Furthermore, they went to the place where they knew those people are going to be spiritually interested because they knew that they were worshipers. 
So they have strategy in their method. But look at this. In the conversation that we, he has with Lydia, what do we know about Lydia? Like I said earlier, a businesswoman. She's religious. She's not a Christ follower. But Paul shares the gospel with her, and it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That word pay attention is so interesting. Um, it says the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. Have you guys ever been in a scenario where you're talking to someone and they are like locked in on what you're saying? Like every word is there, okay? The, the, the Greek here, that word pay attention, is actually uh, the word used for an addiction to alcohol. So like when you need a fix and you're focused on getting your next drink, it's that type of a of, of focus, that, that type of, of intention. Paul and Silas strategically think about where they should go. They go to that place. They meet a lady named Lydia. They didn't know who they were going to meet. But God had already began to work in the life of Lydia. Isn't that cool? God had already began to work in that life. And so when they showed up, she's, she's ready to receive. And, and he shares the gospel with her. He shares it in a way that she would receive it because she was a religious woman. It says that she came to know the Lord. You, but look back at verse 15. And after she was baptized, they didn't wait at all. She came to know the Lord, and then she was baptized. And her household as well. They just kind of throw that in there. Who knows how many people she lived with. This lady, it was a leader in her community, went back to her home and told everyone about Jesus. You might say, I can't tell people about Jesus because I just became a Christian. Actually, there's biblical precedent that says Lydia literally just came into the Lord and then led her whole entire household to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? God goes before and works. And he still does that today. And, and, he, and then I love this part. She goes, and if you judge me, be faithful to the Lord. Come to my house and stay. And, it, and the text says, and she prevailed upon us. In other words, she insisted and we had to say yes. It's kind of like when grandma says, like, no, 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 eat another piece of pie. You look skinny. Eat another piece. And you're like, no, grandma. She's like, no, eat another piece. And you say, okay, okay. That's what happened with Lydia. They were like, no, Lydia, we really need to get on the road. She's like, no, sleep at night. Like, stay here. Let me take care of you. You've done so much for me. Let me help you out. That's what's happening with Lydia. And see, the Bible has personality. So the Lord opened her heart, and Lydia comes to know the Lord. Okay, that's story number one. We're going to circle back to that. I'm going to go to story number two. Go to verse 16. I love this. As we were going to the place of prayer, so they're still going, Thyatira, going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. I love this next part. Paul, having become greatly annoyed... <laughs> Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. I mean, so they have a plan. What's their strategy? Their strategy is to go where the people are, right? That's like basic stuff. Uh, they go to where the people are. Like a modern day equivalent would be, I'm going to go to a coffee shop because there's always people at a coffee shop. All right, so they go to where the people are, and they're doing that. They meet Lydia, and Lydia comes to know the Lord. Her whole household comes to know the Lord. They go, okay, something's happening. There's movement of God. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. 
And while they're going, this lady who's tormented by this demon begins to share the gospel, essentially, um, and, and just annoy Paul and, and Silas. This is why I love the Bible, because it's full of normal, everyday people. Sometimes we get to do the work of God in the right headspace, where we are full of love and grace and compassion. And sometimes God uses us despite how annoyed we are with someone. Because God still is God. The Bible isn't full of perfect people. Paul didn't cast the, the demon out because, you know, I really care about her. <laughs> he got annoyed. <laughs> okay? So it says that he, he cast this demon out. What do we know about this girl? Well, she's a young girl. She's in her teens. Um, she was spiritually and economically a captive. It says that uh, she was possessed by a demon, but also she would bring financial gain to her masters. And so the word master there shows that she's a slave. So she's a slave girl in her teens who is demon-possessed. Does God care for that lady? Yes. Does God care for Lydia? Yes. Are their stories totally different? Yes. But what I want you to see is that there is not one type of Christian. There is not... You have to look like this, do like this, behave like this to be a Christian. But rather, the kingdom of God is made up of all types of people. And that all types of people can find salvation. All types of people can find unity in the name of Christ. Unity in the name of Christ. Sometimes we, if you're like me, we think, yeah, God can save all people, but the type of their relationship, you know, the element of the of the communion and the intimacy with the Holy Spirit, that's not going to be for all people. No, 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 it's for everyone. It's for all people. Their eyes, Paul and Silas's eyes, were opened because they went somewhere to share the gospel. But while they're going to share the gospel, they're just getting annoyed. Have you ever done that? Like, God, I want to do your will but I've got this thing in my life that's really annoying me, and I'm just kind of mad about it, but not like the good mad that's justifiable, just like the uh, not the best version of you kind of mad. And, and God, it, it, as I read this right now, it just kind of reminds me, like, you know, what if, what if God got their attention? It's like, no, 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 care for her too. Like, no, God, I want to go to the people who are really spiritually open to stuff. I want to share the gospel with people who are ready to receive it. You know, how many of us want to share the gospel with someone who's like, all I need is someone to pray with me? <laughs> like, yeah, one's easy. How about the person who's demon-possessed? Like, oh, these are different levels. Okay. And it's like, okay, God, let's share the gospel with the easy one. And God's like, but I've brought this lady into your life. What are you going to do with that? Because God brought this girl into their life. What are you going to do with it? I think God's brought people into our life, and the question is like, what are you going to do with that? But our eyes have to be open to see the people around us because we have to be strategic. If we don't see the people around us, we won't care for them. And if we're just annoyed, we'll just try to ignore. There has to be a moment that we go from ignoring to helping. Uh, but that's why I also love this story because Paul is very relatable. He got annoyed. I get annoyed all the time. But it said 
that he helped him. I just was thinking about this, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but you're going to meet people in the community all the time. You may or may not meet someone who's demon-possessed, okay? But you will meet someone who is oppressed. You'll meet someone who's enslaved to something. You'll meet a drug addict. Okay, that's the easy one to spot, right? If you're talking to someone who doesn't have a home. But you'll also meet people who are oppressed um, to the anxiety in their life. They're oppressed uh, to different circumstances they've put themselves into. People who have placed themselves into addictions, sexual addictions, food addictions, um, drug addictions, relational addictions. And will you choose to just be annoyed by them? Will we choose to just be annoyed by them? Or will we choose to go from just being ignoring to helping? Because I believe that the kingdom of God, Jesus, runs to those who are on the margins. So often I find myself running away from those on the margins. But God runs to those on the margins and helps them. Because the gospel, the kingdom of God is for all people. And we have to get that in our brain. The kingdom of God is for all people, no matter what they look like, no matter what they act like, no matter if they have a history uh, of a heroin addiction. No matter if you would just describe them as, they're just a hard person to be around. Because every one of us have people in our class that we go, they're just hard to be around. The kingdom of God, the gospel is for them. Okay, let's look at the third person. Look at verse 19. But when her owners, that's talking about the girl who is enslaved, saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. All right, now it's getting good. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off with them and gave orders to beat them with rods. It's quite the scene. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, this is really simple. What happens is that, turns out, if someone who's demon-possessed is no longer demon-possessed, they're not going to operate and live their life how they used to. And so... The owners of the girl who was demon-possessed could no longer get financial gain. So they were mad. Does that make sense? So they're mad. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to go get some retribution, take it out on Paul and Silas. So they get the whole town together. It's quite the scene. They're like tearing garments, yelling things. Like It's it's quite the ordeal. And, And it says that they inflicted many blows upon them and then placed them in the inner prison. Here's what we know about that. So the inner prison um, was the lowest part of the jail. And the way sewage worked back in the day is that sewage went to the bottom. So they placed them with all of the sewage, and uh, they beat them, beat them, and beat them. So now Paul and Silas, the strategic guys who had gone and helped a lady named Lydia and gone, who had helped a person who had been oppressed, have now, for their reward, gotten beaten and thrown in poop. So... What will they do? Their life has become hard, and they've done nothing but care for people. And get a little annoyed, but it worked out in the end. What will they do? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. I'd like to just stop there. I, they'd just gone through a day where they had been beaten. It actually says that they were chained by their ankles um, and, and tortured in such a way where they're hanging upside down and they had been continually hitting the bottom of their feet. Um, we can't wrap our heads around that because we're not like experts in torture, but incredibly painful. They're hanging upside down in sewage. And this is the situation they find themselves in. And all they've done is care for someone. But what do they do? Guys, I'm telling you, character plays itself out in hard moments. They were praying and singing hymns to God. Life was very, 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 very hard. Life was not easy. What were they doing? They were singing. Some of y'all can understand what that is. When life hits rock bottom, you have nothing left, but all of a sudden there's a song in your soul. You begin to sing it to the Lord. They're singing and praying. You've hit rock bottom and all you know how to do is pray. And the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. Some would say that the, uh, the most effective time of your life that you can share your faith is when you're dealing with tragedy. When you're struggling and you're still praising God, when you're struggling in, in the inner prison and you're singing and praising God, that is the most effective. Because the world is watching how we will respond. I don't mean that to, just to make you scared, but if you're responding in a way of praise and trust, and even though everything in life is shaking, there is no stability in life, but you are responding with praise, the prisoners are listening. So respond with praise because the prisoners are listening. And God cares for the salvation of the prisoners. God cares for the heart of the prisoner. I want you all to look at these two verses. Reese, I'm skipping a little bit, but go down to Habakkuk 3. I want you to look at this. We don't need to know the story of Habakkuk for this. I also found out today I can't spell Habakkuk. Um, I got it wrong three times. But um, he gives this beautiful, I got it wrong twice. I got it right in the third time. But he gives this beautiful picture. And I just want you all to listen. And this is an agriculture society, so just imagine you're all farmers and it'll make perfect sense. All right. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor there be no fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fails and the fields have no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is what's happening. Though nothing is going right, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will sing. 
I will sing my heart to the Lord. Why? Because he hears your cry. Because God is still the God of your salvation. God is your strength. God is near to the brokenhearted. God comforts those who are hurting. Also, look at this verse in Isaiah, too. The same chain of thought. In Isaiah, there, he, he says the same kind of thing. For the, the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. This is Jesus. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Look at that. He says that my love will not depart from you. I still love you, and my covenant of peace will not move. He says that my peace is not found in circumstances. Paul and Silas's peace is not found in circumstances. So often we think that peace can be found if I can just take care of the thing that's stressing me out, that's hurting me, that is um, oppressing me. But peace is not found in the removal of bad circumstances. Peace is found in the covenant that Jesus has given you. And so if peace is found in Jesus, Paul and Silas can sing. Y'all see the beauty in that? So if Paul and Silas can sing, let's see what happens. Because there's like a major part of the story I haven't gotten to. Look at verse 26 in Acts 16. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. It immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was just about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. He's a little country, I guess. Do not harm yourself, we're all here. Ain't none of us left. <laughs> and the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Look, listen what the jailer has to say. This is the same guy who just beat him. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Do? No, no, no. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What must I do to be saved? Believe. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. He says, I have family. Come tell my family. Does this story sound like Lydia? I have family. Come tell my family. He tells his family. His family believes and saved. The guy who just tortured them now cleans the same wounds that he caused. Because something has happened on the inside and this man has changed. This jailer, let me tell you a little bit about him real quick. Um, if you were a jailer in, uh, like in this Roman culture, you were an, an old general of the army who had done a good job, and you were an old guy in the army who had done a good job. When, when you retired, you were gifted a jail to run as your retirement gift. Seems like a strange gift, but that was the culture. And, that was, and so this, is, this old man who had seen a lot of things in life, when all of a sudden there's an earthquake happens, he goes, oh no, they've all, they're all gone. I'm gonna die. He draws his sword for pain, but Paul stops him. Why didn't Paul leave? Didn't just three chapters ago, four chapters ago, 
Peter walked out of prison, right? But why did Paul and Silas stay? Because sometimes God places you in hard circumstances. And in the midst of those hard circumstances, there's a person for you to love and care. Because if Paul was so consumed with just getting out of the pain, he would have missed the jailer. But God had the jailer in mind, the jailer's family in mind. The city of Thyatira is changed because Paul and Silas are strategic. They go outside. Paul and Silas talk to the person who's oppressed. And Paul and Silas care for the person even though they were hurting. We often think that pain is bad, and if I can just get rid of the pain in my life, if I can just get rid of the pain in my life, then I'm good. But God is rather saying, in the midst of the pain, I still have a mission for you. In the midst of pain, there's a mission. And I just want us to have those, that perspective. When you wake up, when we wake up, and we go about this city, God, what are you doing around me? What do you have for me today? Develop the habit of asking God that question. God, what do you have for me today? Help me to see the people you bring into my life. Help me to not run away from those on the margin, but run to the margin. The person that I hate, God, is there something you want to do? Where are you moving, God? This story shows that the kingdom of God looks different. It's full of all kinds of personalities, but you will evangelize and you will share your faith differently. To Lydia, how did they evangelize? Well, they asked spiritual type questions because she was spiritually open. To the girl who was enslaved, how did they evangelize? They proclaimed freedom in the name of Jesus. To the jailer, how did they evangelize? They offered mercy to those who was oppressing. Evangelism can look different depending upon the person. And I just want to encourage you with this story, guys. Be like Paul and Silas. Resolve in your heart to be like Paul and Silas. Sing praise, sing hymns. Though everything is falling apart, sing praise. The prisoners are listening. Though someone is annoying you, quit ignoring and care. The person that's easy to share Jesus with, share Jesus with. Do not run from that, but care for him. I could keep going for a while, but we're out of time, so I'm going to pray. Let's, let's pray. Father, we desire to be like Paul and Silas, who are just normal guys. I love the emotion of Paul in this text. God, I'm amazed. They were normal, but what they did in that jail was incredible because I would have left. But God, you said in the midst of the pain, I have something for you. And so God, well, we walk through hard times, but we say, God, what are you doing? Show us what's happening. Open my eyes. Help us to see the people that you bring into our life. Help us to see the ones that we can care. Yes, Lord. For those who are already asking spiritual questions, we pray for their salvation and their households. For those who are oppressed, God, help us to proclaim freedom in the name of Jesus. Not freedom in the name of self-improvement, but freedom in the name of Jesus. And it's your name we pray.
Amen. What's up, y'all? All right, so I got two things. Next week, we are not having Sunday school. I know, sad day. Um, so if you show up, you're going to be alone. Um, but we're still having big church at 11, so show up to that. Uh, and then, like John said, at our next worship night, we're doing Rep Your High School. So bring, I don't know, wear a uniform, wear a shirt. I'm going to wear my Letterman. That's like like two sizes too small. Um, but yeah, that's all we got. We'll see you all later. <laughs>